Welcome to We Got Goals, a podcast by AsweatLife.com on, t- on which we talk to high achievers about their goals. I'm Gina Anderson-Cohen. I am the founder and CEO of A Sweat Life. And with me today, we have Brian Kent. If you are watching um, the video on YouTube, you'll notice I'm in a different space. Um, you may hear some different sounds like dogs barking and my dad uh, like mowing the lawn because I'm in Minnesota at my parents' house. But if you're listening, you know, just listen for different dogs and cats and, and stuff like that happening because it's COVID world and we record at home. But first, let's hear from Brian Kent. Brian, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What do you do with your life and time and days? Oh, man. How much time do we have, Gina? I don't know. So Approximately 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so my name is Brian Kent. I am a personal trainer, strength coach. I've had my own training business, BK Strength, since I went independent in 2008. I also am part of the, the leadership council at On Your Mark Coaching and Training at West Loop and West Side location. I am a Nike trainer, and I am an author of a book called Walked On, Life Lessons from a Non-Scholarship College Athlete. I played some college baseball, some college football, a couple of years in minor league baseball, and I am a, a lifelong martial artist also. With a, I have a black belt in taekwondo and a black belt in judo. So those are all parts of the, of the book and, and my background that leads to having a lot of goals. Sure does. Um, so Brian, let's talk a little bit about the book before we jump into the goal questions. I had a chance to read, and thank you, by the way, for the chance to read the book um, early. I got an advanced copy and now I have a signed copy that's hardcover. Um, how long did it take you to write that? And really what was the, what was the push to put it all on paper? So my athletic career post high school was always a little bit weird and I didn't get a scholarship for football. I didn't get a scholarship for baseball and I really had a hard time deciding which sport I wanted to play. So I chose both. My parents all this time thought that I should write a book about my experiences transferring a couple of times and getting the scholarship and getting taken away and getting hurt and all this, all this um, sort of an atypical college experience. I thought, ah, you know, nobody, nobody cares. You know, my goal is to make it to the major leagues as a catcher. That didn't happen. I don't, I don't think anybody wants to read a story about the guy that didn't make it. But the longer that I, I worked as a trainer, I had clients that were athletes, in high school, college age that had big goals also. And they had some problems with coaches at the college level that sounded very similar to, to my issues with, with college coaches. And by a freak of nature, I had a judo accident that required a major ankle surgery, which put me out, off the gym, out of the gym and on the couch for a while. I'm not the kind of guy that, that doesn't do I, – I can't sit there and do nothing. So I thought, well, let's, let's start the blueprint for this book. And it took about three years and 22 full book edits before I got it to the point where I was, I was very proud of the finished copy. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting too, because I did not play college sports. Um, I went, I went to a big 10 college. So I was surrounded by, um, college athletes, but you, you sort of don't understand what they go through. Um, both like academically there's pressure on them, but also performance wise, there's pressure on them. Can you talk a little bit, uh, about the pressure that comes with, with both the scholarship and with walking on? Sure. You know, division one college sports, that's, that's big business. So it looks awesome on Saturday where you see, you know, I uh, come out of high school, I went to the University of Iowa. So when you see Kinnick Stadium lit up on a Saturday, you think, oh, wow, that's it's awesome. I'd love to be a part of that. And I, I did too. But sometimes behind the scenes, it gets a little tricky with with coaches that are 
maybe the ones that recruited you that then left for a different job or ones that decided that you weren't going to play and the whole process can be upended real quick due to the realities of, of division one sports, you know, the, uh, the goals as, as a walk on, I always felt like I had to, do, to behave a little bit differently than my, my scholarship peers. I feel like I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I wasn't going to go out drinking. I wasn't, I wasn't going to put myself in a position where possibly I could lose my spot on the team because I didn't feel like there was much of a safety net. Now that could be all in my own mind. These are plenty of guys that, that did that. I thought I, if I'm walking a, a thin rope here, I want to make sure that I put my best effort into being the best student athlete that I could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after Iowa, um, can you talk about where, where else you ended up and um, how you ended up landing on baseball? Sure. So actually coming out, of, I went to Downers Grove South High School, class of 97. Woo. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting older. Uh, I was signed to play football and baseball at the University of Iowa. I was supposed to be a, a walk-on football player and a scholarship catcher. And the Iowa baseball coach retired right before I graduated high school. And when he retired, the scholarship offer went away. So I was like, still accepted to the school to be a uh, football player. But the new baseball coach wouldn't let me play baseball because I was on the football team. So when I realized after a football season bout with mononucleosis, which made my body very small, I was about 183 pounds, about 50 pounds lighter than I needed to be. I thought I, should, I would like to play baseball, but I, I, if I can't play Iowa, I need to go somewhere else, which led me in a roundabout way to the University of Nebraska out in, in Lincoln to play for a new coach that was looking for athletes, not just baseball players. And it seemed like a very good fit, but in reality, it, it was not. If you read the Lincoln <laughs> chapter, you, you'll know why. <laughs> Yeah, I spent some time on the Lincoln chapter. Uh, what's fun about knowing the author of a book, and I've, I've spent a lot of my adult years like wishing I knew the author of books that I read because you just want, like, you read the story and you just want to text them at moments and be like, oh my God, I can't believe it happened to you. Uh, like, I remember reading Wild by Cheryl Strait and just wanting to text her. Um, but now here's the benefit of knowing you, Brian, is I got to text you after that chapter oh. and tell you, like, I, ha- I hate that guy. <laughs> well, thank you. I, you know, I wanted to, I, my goal was to write a book that people could relate to whether they played sports or not. You know, my, my life is through sports, but I'm, mm-hmm. I was hoping that if, if it's a high school kid or even an adult that's, that's had similar issues with a boss at work or some kind of like, um, you feel like you deserved a scholarship or a promotion and you didn't get it. Like, how do we keep our, on our path to, to achieve our mm-hmm. goals when there's obstacles and setbacks and adversity along the way? So I hope that it, it's a sports story for me, but I hope that there's yeah. more to it than that. For sure. I think it also reminded me of, and then we'll jump into the big questions here, but it also reminded me of um, the book by Lee Kemp, who, do you know Lee Kemp, by the way? Yeah. I met him, I met him through your event. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lee, Lee Kemp, um, is, he was an Olympic um, and is a retired wrestler, but he was an Olympic wrestler. He was, he qualified for the Olympics and it was, it just so happened to be the year that the United States boycotted um, the Olympics because of Russia and the world, et cetera. Um, so he was denied his chance um, to go to the Olympics and it sat, it sat with him, but he had to mm-hmm. sort of live his life after that and sort of figure out where to go next and how to overcome that adversity too. So he had a sports story that I think is very universal as well um, in that way. And I, I think that's the one thing I've, I've come to appreciate as someone who doesn't like watch or I'm sorry, Brian, care about sports, <laughs> but I okay, care about okay. the stories. I care about the stories and I care about the human element. And that's why I think it's like the last dance resonated with so many people. It's mm. because the, the story of sport applies to everybody. Wouldn't you say? Yes. Oh yeah. The, 
you know, when you, there's a, maybe like a, from a football standpoint, if there's a kid from your hometown in Minnesota, right. That, that gets a scholarship somewhere, or maybe he, he walks on, or maybe he gets a chance to play college sports. You know, that's like mm -hmm. a, a hometown kid that everyone wants to cheer for. And like, yeah, he is like anybody from that area. Right. So you, you're where you literally, your last name is on your Jersey, but you're also carrying like your town, yeah. your city, your state and, and your, your peers with you. And so you, yeah. some of my coaches would say, you can either represent yourself well or not. But it is yeah. more than it's big. It's bigger than just you as a person because the stories are are very relatable. Yeah, it's interesting when you say that. I think about my my hometown in Minnesota. There, it's a hockey place, obviously. So there's a guy like immediately when you were saying that, like Matt Soderberg got a scholarship to Quinnipiac to play ho hockey, which was like a dream, the dream for our hometown. Okay, let's dive in, Brian Kent. Um, talk to me. What is a big goal you set and accomplished? Why was it important to you, and how'd you get there? Well, getting the book done was really, I'm not a professional writer. So my job is to train clients and work with kids and, and teams. So when I had this goal of getting the book done, I didn't really have a timeline on it. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll work on little pieces here and there. I'll, I'll try to have something that I'm proud of, I don't know, in a year. But the more I read it, I thought, ah, like the first part of it was sort of purging my, my demons, if you will, about all the <laughs> things that happened throughout my career. And like to me, that was a big victory. I, I, I I'm not a big drinker, but I drank a lot while I was writing the book. So I was obviously dealing with some shit that I, I had not dealt with in a while. <laughs> right. Thank you for comparing me to Hemingway. I appreciate yes. that. That's probably the only time I'll ever hear that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get it done. And, you know, I didn't really have time to really sit and commit. So mm -hmm. I, my clients knew. And so the second phase of the book writing was to sort of not first one phase one was get the facts out there and, and go through oh, hello, hello kitty. <laughs> first phase was to get the facts out there. And then the second phase was to really go through and rewrite and see like, have I told a good story? And mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that there were elements that were hundred percent in the book in terms of the teammates that helped me, coaches that helped me and, and being able to reflect now on, on what that path looked like at the time. So the big goal and one of the biggest goals I've had lately was to get that book done. So thankfully, one of the perks of 2020 was that I, I wasn't working as much. So I had time to, to be at home on the computer next to my daughter playing Legos, like crank out some, some, some content that my sister, who is my graphic designer, my book designer, my website designer, she was able to you know, set up in a computer file that I don't know how to use because my, my computer skills are very poor. But getting that done at the end of 2020 was really a, like, a, like, a, whew, like finally three years of work comes to a conclusion and I was, I was pretty proud of the final result. Yeah. Um, I heard a lot of themes in there. One, one, just like getting it out there initially. It's, it's so interesting, Brian, that you say that it was kind of like therapy. I mean, like, have you ever, have you ever been through therapy um, post sport career? Or was this like, this was it? This was it. You know, I, people knew some parts of the story. Like they knew that I had mm -hmm. transferred. They knew that I had played football. They knew that I played baseball. They knew I was sick. They knew I got hurt. They knew I had signed like a low level minor league contract. They knew I signed with the White Sox, but like nobody ever knew like how it all tied together. And I, I'm really, there's parts of that story that you've read that like, I'm not really proud of. So I, I was nervous about getting that out there and sort of exposing myself to the realities of, of my situation. But I, what overrode that situation for me was if one kid reads the book and stays locked into a goal, then it's worth it. You know, if one person, whether it's a high school athlete or an adult, that they stay you know, on their path and, and committed to getting to reaching a goal, then you can read what the crap that happened to me. And I hope that it, it inspires you to stay motivated for yourself. Yeah. 
I, and I think it's really interesting too, Brian, like what you overcame as a college athlete as well. Cause I, I think so many of these kids like don't overcome it. And I, I hesitate to call them kids because they're adults, but you're also still like navigating pre-adult life. Um, you're, you're not getting a paycheck, you know? So you're having the, if you're a scholarship athlete, like you very much so have to rely on like the presence of your scholarship for your education, for your housing, et cetera. Um, so it's sort of like you're, I don't want to say this, but I'm going like, you're a prisoner, like you're a prisoner of your scholarship. Um, and, and so many of these college athletes like don't have advocates. They don't have a union. They don't have anyone like helping them the way that professional athletes do. Um, so if you were to change the college athletic system, that it was more beneficial. And I'm, my husband and I talk about this all the time because I think college athletes should get paid, but so it was more beneficial to the college athlete. What would you change about it? You make a great point a few um, sentences ago where you said like getting help. It would have been nice to have someone help me that was like on team Brian. You know, yeah. right now my role as a trainer and coach is to help kids. And I think like, Mm-hmm. I would really have benefited from someone helping me, even from the reality of saying as an 18 year old, look, Brian, you want to play college baseball and college football. That's cool. That's going to be very hard to do at a division one level. Simply, there's only one of you and these sports overlap because as you point out, like the commitment levels, to both sports are, are year round. Like, there, there's no, there's no mm-hmm. break. So you can't cut yourself in half and send half you to play football and half you to play baseball without pissing off football or pissing off baseball. So it would help you out right now mm-hmm. to choose one of your sports. And if your goal is to play major yeah. league baseball, it doesn't make a lot of sense to play college football. And what that would have really as an 18 year old, I would have liked to hear that, but it's like, Oh, well, I guess that's probably true. Right. And, and so, Oh yeah, Brian, how much do you weigh 200? How much are the guys playing on TV on Saturdays weigh? Oh, two thirty. You don't weigh two thirty. They're pretty fast. Are you pretty fast? <laughs> kind of, maybe, maybe not really. Maybe your body is best suited for baseball. And that would have been, I would love to give advice to kids like, it's important to go where you're wanted, but it's, it's also important to keep, you know, a strong belief within yourselves and have somebody maybe outside the program that you trust helping coach you up because not every day is a good day. You know, in, in the book, mm-hmm. I talk about times where I got, I got like rocked at practice from a football standpoint. I'm, I'm 50 pounds underweight, you know, yeah. and like, I'm not, I'm not used to that. You know, everybody on a college football team, like was a very good player in high school, right? They're not used to losing or they're not used to being knocked down or trampled or like mm-hmm. lit up. And I'm going, whoa, that sucks. I don't like that at all. <laughs> right. And it's, you know, at 18, which at Brian, you're 183 pounds. Your guys that you're supposed to block are 230 above. Like you're too light. Yeah. But as an 18 year old, I would never, I'm like, no, no, I'll, I'll go. Like I'll get the job done. That's sort of like 18 year old <laughs> testosterone versus, you know, early 40s wisdom. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting too, because it's, it's like you're very much following. And your did you mean to follow in your dad's footsteps here? <laughs> your well, dad was it, your coach. And he, now you're coaching others. He was a he was a very good football. He still coaches football actually, and yeah. he's retired from teaching math. And actually, after college, in my my first year of, of minor league baseball, I, I did it in a role at DePaul for to be um, to get my teaching degree. Which I thought, oh well, I, I like to coach. I don't at that time there weren't as many. You know, travel teams or club teams that I knew of. I thought the only way to coach is to be a high school teacher. I'm like, well, I'm not super passionate about like grading papers, <laughs> but I, I, I do want to coach. Now, I'd see my dad come home from practice, and my dad, he coached football, he coached wrestling, 
high school wrestling and high school baseball. So he would come home from practice, you know, he'd get it, you know, he'd be grading papers. I'm like, Ooh, like, I appreciate the hustle and effort, but like, I don't know if I, I want to do that. I, I like to coach, but in a different way, or teach in a different way. So my sister, Allie is also a teacher to coach up in Maine West high school. My mom teaches CPR. So like we, I feel like we have a family of, of people that love to give you their opinion. So that's, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't hard to, to, to stay on that track. <laughs> yeah. And your dad actually wrote one of the, the, um, forewords for your book. Um, and he noted that he, he had wanted you to focus on baseball. Um, is it harder? Was it harder to listen to your dad's advice on that than it would have been maybe for like an outside advocate? You know, we, I was very lucky that he was my coach when I was nine, all the way through my, my senior year of high school. You know, there are a lot of cases where coaches, kids are, are problems and, and kind of a pain in the ass where I, I feel like I had <laughs> the opposite, opposite, um, expectations where I, I wanted to do things the right way and, and, and be a, a leader and a good representative of our program because the back of my jersey said Kent, just like I said, coach Kent, like on, on, on his shirt. Mm-hmm. So I was probably a pretty stubborn kid, which most people can relate to. I'm sure. Um, it, it was real hard for me to give up football, but that, that's probably where this story really should have pivoted into baseball is that I had a real hard time giving it up because I, I liked it so much. And, and, yeah. you know, I mean, the pageantry of, of a college football Saturday, I, I didn't want to be an NFL player, but I did want to be a college football player. I'm like, Oh, I'm like coming out here and, and, you know, walking out into big 10 school with guys that are on scholarship. I'm not like, I'm just prepared to like to hustle, fight, grind and like hold my own and then earn my own scholarship and then mm-hmm. work my way into the lineup. So I didn't mind the workload, but I, I probably should have focused on baseball. You know, my dad said he, he told me to play baseball. Yes. Yes, he did. But I don't think he minded that I was I, I was committed to football too, except that it was really hard. Post high school, I should have picked one and I should have picked baseball. That would have made my life a lot easier. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you learned a lot from the experience. Uh, I think, and and hey, you got to experience the pageantry of a giant stadium the way that baseball players in college never do. Yep, definitely. You know the. I said that the best experience of my college football career, maybe my football career was the game I dressed for Iowa against Minnesota, no less playing at Kinnick stadium in November for the Floyd of Rosedale trophy, which is this big pig. And you know, that was, um, that was the year that Iowa went to a, went to a bowl game where we played Arizona state in the sun bowl. And like could be out there, you know, it, it was definitely, um, I'm getting chills right now. just thinking about it because it was such a, you know, I had mono. I was light. I, I couldn't practice like in full speed. And then I would kind of hustle and grinded to like get in my scout team reps. And you know, they rewarded me. Like they, I was recruited to play there. Like they wanted me there and to have a jersey with my name on it and walk out there on the field. Like even though I wasn't playing as a redshirt, like the energy is something that's it's hard to duplicate outside of actually having a helmet on. I still have chills right now thinking about it. Like that or a TED talk, right? Those are your options. Sure. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I haven't done that yet, but I, I, I'm assuming it's a similar rush. Mm-hmm. Put it on your list. Um, so before we jump into your future goals, Brian, I would love to know what it felt like to get signed um, with the White Sox. And what was, I mean, you had this whole big journey behind you, um, this whole story of overcoming obstacles and and finally like specializing in baseball. What was it like to then have that rewarded with the contract? So after I had shoulder surgery, I missed my senior year of college. And I lost my scholarship and I'm 22, 23. I'm living at home. I'm unhappy. I'm like my life. I pictured one version of my life where 
I get drafted. I go play baseball. I'm making money. I have a job. I have some like um, prestige is the wrong word, but like I wanted to have earned that that right. So some of my teammates did and my friends did. I'm like, I, I deserve to be there too. So I played two years of low level independent league baseball, which is, it is professional minor league baseball, but it is mm-hmm. probably one of the lowest rungs. I mean, my first year I made $750 a month playing for the Gary South Shore Railcats. In year two, I made $600 a month playing for the San Angelo Colts in Texas. Mm-hmm. So it's not real glitzy. It's not, not real flashy, It's not glamorous. My bank account is like my gas tank on pretty much empty, right? So trying to, you know, you know, think like, think like a big leaguer, but also with the realities of eating Quizno sandwiches and broccoli cheese soup or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, because that's all I can afford. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I always felt like my best baseball was in front of me, but I didn't really have a chance to show it on a regular basis. I had some success and I would get benched and I, you know, my mind, the baseball can be kind of a, of a, of a, of a mental battle as well. Right. And, and as a coach's kid, like if you're not playing, it's like, Oh, does that mean the other guy's better than me because I, I don't think that and so if i'm mm-hmm. on the bench i think it's difficult to accept that role if you feel like you should be on the field so the whole white Sox thing happened after i had not played baseball in two years so i played baseball 0304 i did not play 0506 i was personal training crunch and i, I had a, a job offer to play baseball in mexico but i could not cover my rent with, with the money they were offering me so mm-hmm. I didn't really want to retire. I didn't feel like I was retired, but I, I thought, well, what, what the hell? Well, what do I do? I don't have the options. I guess I'll just, I'll just stay in shape just in case, right? As a trainer, you know, it's important that we look the part and, and you know, live the lifestyle. So I, being in shape was never a problem for me. But in my mind, I'm like, is baseball over? I don't feel like it's over. I feel like I'm, I'm still like reaching my peak here in terms of like mental toughness and physical development. So like, how do I, what happens? And in that 2006 year at Crunch, lucky for me, the White Sox director of player personnel became a member of the gym. And (laughs) this White Sox had just won a World Series in 05. Here it is like Mm -hmm. the next season. It's 06. And one of our sales reps said, oh, you should check out. You should hire this guy. He's a a White Sox scout. I looked him up and he was not only a scout, he was a huge scout, like one of the top decision makers in the organization. I thought, well, how do I? How do I talk to this guy? I should say something. My my communication skills weren't quite as developed then, so I was really nervous. Even I mentioned the book, it was like seeing like the girl of your dreams, right? Like, oh, there he is. But I couldn't talk to him. Like, I get all clammy and sweaty and like mumble and definitely embarrass myself as if I was trying to have a conversation with a supermodel, right? So those were things that were hard to overcome at the time. But eventually, with you know my confidence, I had no. I had, if I want to, play, it's like, dude, if you want to play, you have to say something. You can't just wait. And so I approached him to have a discussion. I was wearing a, a baseball t-shirt, which he recognized, asked me if I, not, do you still play? And I said, no, but I, I would like to. He said, well, what position are you? Said, I'm a catcher. And as a left-handed hitting catcher, that's a little bit of a, oh, an eyebrow raise. Like we're, we're kind of rare. Mm-hmm. So while he didn't know that I could play, he saw like probably a frame, you know, six two, two ten, and I, I, mean, I can move okay. And he thought that, oh, well, that's interesting. He's probably works in the gym. He's probably strong. Let's, let's give him a shot. He says, you want to come to spring training next year? I almost crap my pants. I'm like, <laughs> what? Yes. I mean, I don't even know if I, if I stuttered or I'm like, Oh yes. Yes. But- I, thought, I thought, wow. If, and after that, after that time, I never saw him in the gym again. So I thought, well, maybe he remembers me. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he's being polite. Maybe like I caught him off guard. He's just being very conversationally nice. Who knows? But in the back of my mind, I'm like, 
if I don't prepare for this and he's serious, I, I would never forgive myself. Mm-hmm. Never. These are the freaking hometown White Sox, by the way. My grandpa's a huge Sox fan. Half my friends are huge Sox fans. You know, we would argue all the time about Cubs and Sox, the stupidest stuff, but it's like, it's important here. So the fact that it was the Chicago White Sox, two years removed from the college, excuse me, from the World Series. And as the, the year changed, I'm like, well, well is he going to, something going to happen here? I mean, I'm, I'm, in, I'm getting ready just in case, but I'll never forget this. He called me one time and I was on the train going to judo and I had fallen asleep and I some area code that I didn't know on my phone and I, I didn't answer it. So I don't pick up area codes from Arizona <laughs> and there was a, it's in the voicemail and I listened, it was him. He's like, I want to make sure you're still coming. I freaking jumped up. Like I had been shocked. So I'm like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, I call him right back before he could change his mind. And I got like my phone, like smashed through my ears so I could hear him on the train. And he said, yeah, we'll fax you a contract tomorrow, which he did. And off we go. <laughs> it's so wild because it's like there's so much kismet i i would also say like crunch gym was probably a very special place for you because isn't that also where you met emily from on your mark i did we were we were co-workers back when we were rookies mm-hmm. back in, in 2003 so mm-hmm. she started there first she's she has seniority on me there but yes <laughs> one of my first introductions with emily hutchins was she taught me how to use a foam roller for crunch development <laughs> oh wow and now i mean foam rollers are the haps and that was i'm sitting on one right now are you good for you i'm (laughs) sitting on a couch with the dog splayed across me um i i love the kismet of all of that because i I think like the fact that you never saw him at the gym again like obviously where you were meant to have this conversation you were meant to be wearing that t-shirt that day like it was meant to be before we take a quick break for some zen with sunday scaries we want to remind you how obsessed we are with their delicious and super effective cbd infused gummies packed with vitamins d3 and b12 enjoy 20 percent off on their website with code life 20 so you can enter max relax mode that's l i f e 20. Now let's take a pause for calm with one of our favorite grounding techniques, using all of your senses. Using your senses, pick up five things you can see. Four things you can feel. Three things you can hear. Two things you can smell. And one thing you can taste. There. That's not so scary. Now go take on the day. Um, so let's talk about future goals. Brian, tell me about a goal you've set for the future. How are you going to get there? Well, one of my future goals is to, is to get the book in the hands of, of more kids. And mm. whether I'm, I'm donating books or sharing books with you know, volleyball clubs or soccer clubs or high school football teams, I, I'm, I've had very good feedback from numerous audiences talking about how much that they liked it. And I've actually had some clients give me all kinds of shit like, did you actually write that? Because <laughs> I, I, can pl- I can play the, the dumb trainer and the dumb jock role pretty good. And they're like, there's no way that you wrote that. I said, well, I did. I did. And I think that even some of the kids that I, I shared it with their reactions have been what I was hoping for. So the next phase of, of the book is, is more of the, the promotion and, and getting the book 
in front of people that I feel like it would, it would benefit the best, which to me is a high school slash college athlete. So I'm hoping to use contacts or be more involved in the youth sports scene so I can either donate books or books are purchased through Amazon or whatever it is mm-hmm. that gets the book in the hands of people that I feel like you would impact the most. Mm-hmm. And what would you, I mean, what would you want high school athletes or even like younger athletes um, to know as they're reading this book? What do you want their takeaway to be? One of the themes in the book is that I didn't get a whole lot of personal recognition. So as a high school athlete, I, I've been, I was all conference for football and baseball, but I was not all state. I was not all American. I didn't get a scholarship in either sport. I wasn't drafted out of high school or college for baseball. So it, it's even, I did not grow up in a social media age, but like you can like flip open your phone and like see all these prospects from across the world that you're like, Oh wow. Like that guy must be pretty good. Like in reality, like you have no idea. All we can really control is our own preparation and our, our own mindset and our own mm-hmm. like, trust in ourselves. So mm-hmm. you don't always need personal recognition to show up and do the job, right? I, just because I don't get a scholarship doesn't mean I'm going to work any less hard. Just because I didn't mm-hmm. become All-State doesn't mean I'm, I'm less motivated. You mm-hmm. know, maybe that kid in front of me is better today, but I can't be better than him tomorrow. And like, we'll yeah. see who wants it more. And that sort of burning desire to succeed, like it isn't found in everybody, but it is under our control. You know, mm-hmm. it, baseball, baseball especially is such a game of failure, right? So mm-hmm. I can be the best player in the world and go 0 for 8 over the weekend and make two errors. Mm-hmm. So like, I think baseball players tend to be pretty like humble people because we know that we're going to suck a few different times during the year and you, you just deal with it. Right. So having that kind of a mindset and understanding that those external rewards are nice, but the process is under our control and we determine mm-hmm. how hard we work, how much effort we put in, how our energy is, our body language, our attitude, and what kind of a teammate we are too. So those are all factors under our control, not necessarily the external rewards of having a, a piece of paper that says that we were all state or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that's one thing that athletes learn from sport in general too. It, it's just that preparation and mentality, you know, of, of, of sort of being intrinsically motivated. And I think we're, we, and tell me if you agree with this, but I think we're taught as adults, like that it's a personality trait to be intrinsically or extrinsically motivated. But I, I would have to actually disagree. I think we, we can learn either one of those things. What do you think? Totally. It's definitely a learnable skill. When I go home and my wife doesn't load the dishwasher the way I want her to, like I will undo it and put it back because I think it's more more efficient. Is that crazy? Maybe. Is it that same kind of, I don't know, um, obsession that leads you to be good in other areas of life? Probably. But she said I'm being a little too extreme. Crazy? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that that intrinsic motivation really it's in all of us, right? How much of it yeah. we have and how how well we use it is is uh, individual, but we're inside all of our hearts. Like we, we can push ourselves to the limit, mm-hmm. or find someone to help us get there, or that we can trust in someone that, that has our best interests in mind. Mm-hmm. Well, all all of us, you know, it's, it's like doing a good job for the sake of doing a good job, not because you you get a reward after it, right? Like that's yeah, that's something that I feel like everybody should should adopt. Yeah. And, and it, again, like that's another reason to, to play a sport as a, as a kid. And even, I mean, as an adult to, to just try to be good at something for the sake of being good at it for the, the practice of skill. I want to actually take a second to talk about your wife um, because she's a beautiful genius and, uh-huh. <laughs> and you mention her in the book too. So yes. you, um, she came into your life in Lincoln. So that means she was in your life for the good, the bad, the ugly of sports. Totally. So talk to, talk to me about the support system of, of your wife and, um, sort of how that relationship evolved through all of this too. 
she lived through most of that. So even now, I'm like, have you read the book yet? And she's like, no, I haven't read it. I I was there through most of it, which which is true. You know, we met, we were very young. We were, we were both 19 um, in, in Lincoln, Nebraska. She was a scholarship dancer on the Scarlet Dance team, which would be like a lovable, you know, kind of, yeah. kind of thing. She doesn't like being called a cheerleader, but that's not, she was a palm girl, essentially. And, you know, she, in high school, she was an all-American dancer out, out of gross Catholic high in, in Omaha. And I was really mm-hmm. like impressed, like, wow, like she's, she's beautiful. She's smart and she's, she's talented. Like these are things that mm-hmm. are, are hard to find. And she actually had a similar struggle with college sports. I did because even though she was a scholarship dancer, she was cut from the team in year three. I actually wrote an article for the daily Nebraskan. I'm like, what other sport does, what does the football team ever like cut 85% of their starters? Yeah. You know, and it, it, they printed it, which was pretty cool. Um, it says Brian Kent, Darnersville, Illinois. Like it's, it's secondary education is, is my major, right? Which never yeah. happened, but um, <laughs> she, so she had to deal with that also. Here she is, you know, on the field in front of 75,000 people. Then she has to try out every year for her job. And then she, what year three, she doesn't make it. It's like, well, how, how, how does that happen? How, how does anybody, and there was a handful of girls that didn't make it. Like, how do they all of a sudden become not good enough when they've been doing well the past couple of years in a school that's mm-hmm. like athletic powerhouse at the time. So she was able to witness this stuff. Sometimes it was hard for her. I tell her like she met me like at my worst because I wasn't playing. I had problems with my coaches in Nebraska. I had shoulder surgery in Omaha. I, I, I was living at home playing minor league ball. Like she was like, I don't think she actually really understood how hard it was for me to adjust in Nebraska because she only knew mm-hmm. that version of me. And I'm telling her, I'm like, yes, I'm good. I should be playing. I, I deserve to play. And then she's thinking like, well, then why aren't you playing? If you're not that good, mm-hmm. you shouldn't, I mean, if you're, if you're good to be playing, I'm like, oh, like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's theory that makes sense. So it wasn't until, um, when I signed with the White Sox, you know, she moved to Chicago after, after college and, you know, she, she was, I played two years in minor ball, not making very much money. And <laughs> this is funny because when I signed with the White Sox, my roommate was um, was married, and he's like, "Do you have a girlfriend?" I'm like, "Yes." He goes, "Do you live together?" I said, "Well, no." He goes, "Well, why not?" So well, I I make no money, man. I don't, I don't be living at home with my wife. You know, like I I I didn't want to like tie her down. When uh, who knew? There's no there's no way to predict what kind of future I I can. Not, not provides the wrong word, but you know, just something stable, right? Yeah. And so when she came to spring training to, to watch camp, that's really the first time she ever like really seen me play. And she's like, "Wow!" She's like, "You're not that bad." I'm like, "Yeah, thanks." I've been I've been trying to explain that <laughs> for the last you know seven years. So yeah, she's she got to live through most of that, and yeah, you know, she actually was one of the people that encouraged me to become a trainer because she didn't think that I would be able to wear khaki pants to school and teach all day. It's not really not my jam, you know, wearing sweatpants and you know, having, you know, a couple of days of scruff is more my, my thing. So she actually was the one that encouraged me to become a trainer and she knew how much I liked the strength coach aspect of what we did in, in college at Husker power in Nebraska. And we had such great leadership there that she's like, you, you should probably, you should try that. And, you know, at that time, like I never had a trainer before. I didn't even know any trainers. Like it was kind of an, un, an un, um, uncharted territory from a career standpoint because my degree is in english it's not kinesiology mm-hmm. it's not it's not freaking um exercise science i'm like do, can i even do this job but she was one of the people that pointed me in that direction so yeah she's she's been there since the chapter three which is lincoln right <laughs> yeah and i would i would argue you don't necessarily label yourself as depressed in the book but i would argue like 
Lincoln and a little bit beyond, you were, you were suffering with some real like depression. Um, cause it's like you go from, I think a lot of athletes go through this too, when you're like the best, the top of the class, like you're used to performing and then you're sort of knocked off of that. I don't want to call it a pedestal, but like a pedestal, like you're knocked down and you don't know where to turn. Um, so she, she saw you at that level too, right? She did. She did. And, uh, that's like, we, we had for three semesters, like life was good. You know, she was on the dance team, I was playing baseball or, you know, our, our, our school days overlap because all the athletes would eat lunch in the same facility. Like I would see her and I thought, Oh, like this, this is the college experience that I'm hoping for. Right. Like it's perfect. And then my college coach tells me I'm, I'm never going to play here because I'm not good. I thought, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What, what? First of all, I disagreed. And I'm like, what, what kind of a shit? Like this is, this is like upending my entire universe here. Yeah. And you know, Jackie's dad was a baseball player and he actually had helped refer me to Omaha. So that was like a good move from like a logistics standpoint. But yeah, yeah, she was able to see kind of the, she saw like me and those Nebraska teams, like, Gina, they were so good. Two, two trips to college world series in Omaha at Rosenblatt stadium, which was a, a famous baseball stadium in Omaha, like home team. Those are my best friends and teammates that were playing while I'm sitting you know, at home with my arm in a sling after having surgery. So like, it was real hard for me to, you said depression is, is a tough word. I don't, I don't want to use that term, but it, there were definitely some attributes to that that were hard for me to see my friends and, and teammates doing so well, whereas I was trending in the opposite direction. Maybe that's selfish. And I'm, I'm sure it sounds selfish mm-hmm. to hear myself say that it. it does sound selfish because I, I was happy for them. But I was super pissed that I wasn't there with them. I don't think it's selfish. I think it's, it's just an identity shift. Like it's, it is, it is difficult to deal with that to, to be like, no, I'm good. And I know I can do this, but I'm like injuries, um, obstacles, coaches who don't see my potential for some stupid reason standing in my way. I get it. And I don't, I don't think that's selfish at all. Um, okay, Brian, yes. uh, we, we like to ask one big question as well at the end of the podcast, um, to tie it all together. Um, because, we are still living at the tail end of, of COVID. Um, so tell us what's, what's a practice or a self-care ritual um, that you've been, oh, Maverick's trying to knock this computer right off the couch. <laughs> what is, what's a practice or a self-care ritual um, that has helped you stay sane or connected or grounded during this time? You know, I, I read a lot. That, that helps me. I try to stay off the news, off the screen. And I really do believe that our, our health habits are extremely important under any circumstances, even more important right now. You know, I do think it's important to get outside, to get fresh air, to exercise, to move your body, also to calm your mind. You know, whether it's, it's meditation. I mean, I, I do Reiki also as, as an energy healer. So I, I will like do some Reiki breathing for myself or for my dog or my daughter, or my, my wife, try to like use that energy to sort of heal the body and calm down. Cause there's a lot of stress out there right now. And initially some of the, like the quarantine, Oh, stay home. Don't go anywhere. It's like, well, that's actually, pretty bad for our health. Like we, we should be doing things to strengthen our immune system. And I try to reinforce like a positive message. Like we can actively become healthier with good habits during this time. And all, all of us could do better somewhere. Right. Mm-hmm. So I could probably drink a little bit less, which is a, a habit that I, I picked up during the quarantine. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. COVID. <laughs> so I think having daily awareness of, of what our healthy habits are and making it a point to put them into practice is, is a regular on a regular basis, whether it's it's yoga, which doesn't take up any space really, or going for a walk with your dog, or you know, mm-hmm. hanging out with people that you like, you know, positive relationships go a long way too. So I think it's really mm-hmm. time to assess like 
where are the holes in our, in our, our mental health and our physical health and let, let's make them stronger so we can mm-hmm. come out of this in a better situation. Yeah. You bring up a really good point too, with relationships, the, the Harvard study, which has been the longest study on human happiness, essentially um, has shown repeatedly that those with the healthiest social connections and ties are the happiest and have the most longevity too. So your relationships have a lot to do with your health and happiness long-term. So yes. get that vaccine, get out of the house, make some friends. <laughs> New friends, get rid of old friends. If they're not, if they're like dragging you down, like assess, everybody deserves like a, like a, an assessment. Like, are you in, or are you out? Because yeah. a lot of times people don't, shouldn't be there anymore. Right. So we need to do everything we can to stay healthy, mentally, physically, spiritually, however you want to define it. And, and put those, priorities in play every day set those boundaries make those priorities well brian kent this has been a delightful time with you today thank you for joining us on we got goals we got goals is in a spotlife.com production um <laughs> thanks to ryan Deffit for audio production and to ryan barayuga for video production i hey mean i'm so glad to be here i'm, I'm excited i i wore my, my new pullover today to look good for you to make sure that i represented myself well so thank you for having me Thanks for being here. And thanks to all of you listeners for joining us on We Got Goals.